Hey y'all, glad you're listening again. We're happy to provide this podcast for the World Wide Web, and we hope it's a blessing to you. We uh, actually sat down, I was able to sit down earlier today and visit with the new superintendent of schools here in Nowata, so um, we should be releasing that on our podcast here in another couple of days, so keep your eyes peeled. This episode you're listening to right now is the uh, proclamation of the word from worship on Sunday where we covered 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So we're just continuing on a pace. It's going well. And people are pleased, I think, with the content. I I actually (laughs) had a person in the church write me and say, I really enjoy when we just read through the Bible rather than skipping around like we do during liturgical seasons, and I think that was meant as a, a compliment and an insult at the same time, which of course I can take. I'm a, I'm, uh, not everybody has to like everything that I do. Of course, I, I try and please everybody, which is why we change it up from time to time, but you know, truth be told, I really like preaching through books of the Bible as well. It, it helps me dig a lot deeper than when we're hopping and around. So, uh, you know, we... We have something to, to bother everybody. We have something to, to please everybody. The, the thing we're doing in worship right now that some people don't like is uh, we stand for the whole time we're singing. And finally, some folks have just said, I'm not doing it. And they're just sitting down, and it's just fine, isn't it? So I, I love when we're all doing and saying the same thing. I love when we're all able to be a little different. So both things can be good. But I've had people talk to me and saying, I like when we are doing the Revised Common Lectionary, and we sing at different parts of the service so we can stand up and then sit down. And then I have other people who've come and said, why are we always standing up and sitting down? So, you know, make of it what you will. People are different, and so our uh, our job is just to, to be gracious with one another, isn't it? Anyway, there's a little sermon for you. I uh, hope you enjoy the episode. We'll see you. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Okay, the remainder of worship and is going to be spent attending upon God's Word. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, which is on page 1773 of your pew Bibles. As a general reminder of what ground we have covered so far, this church, like all churches, is tempted by the world around it to give in to worldly values and concerns. As Jesus himself said, the world is meant to persecute us and hate us as the world persecuted and hated him. James, also in the Bible, says that anyone who is a friend of this world cannot be friends with God, but is an enemy of God. There are two different ways of life, the way of the flesh and the way of the spirit, the way of darkness, the way of light. These are uh, uh, dualistic principles lifted up throughout the scriptures that um, people have always wanted to push back against. We've always wanted to imagine that we can fit in with and thrive in and be loved by the world and uh, be welcome in the kingdom 
and be right with God. And so the scriptures consistently push back against that notion and make us question our own dispositions. The Corinthian church was not doing well with this. They were a seaside port in the Roman Empire. They were very licentious. Um, and the people in the church seem to have come under the sway of an ideology called sophistry or sophism comes from the Greek Sophia, which means that they were really full of their own ability to be wise. And so Paul has, has gotten word that they're being divisive about what kind of teachers they follow in the church. And he has spent a lot of time thus far. We've covered three chapters uh, establishing that the only mind and personality that matters is the mind of God known through Christ Jesus. And that any other people leading in the church, they are not people of high status, but of low. They are servants uh, working in God's field. They are craftsmen in God's temple. They're not people to worship or give glory to. Rather, as he's going to talk about in today's chapter, they are stewards. Now, does anyone have an idea? Well, I, I'm not going to call anybody. A steward is a manager of someone else's goods. So fundamental to understanding this is the notion that every th good thing that you have actually is not yours, it's not from you, it's not for you. It's from God and for God, his glory. That's it. So our lives are meant to be spent not for ourselves and our own glory as leaders in the Corinthian church were. Rather, our lives are meant to be spent for God's glory in the world. And everything that you and I have is not for our own comfort, glory, leisure, feel-goods. It's for God's glory and the magnification of his name. So that's, that's the larger concerns here are the factions. He's arguing for unity, and uh, he's, he's all about um, that humility right now. He's been talking about, I could have come, you remember him saying, I could have come with fancy words, but I chose to know only Christ and him crucified. You remember that? That was in chapter one. He has time and time again insisted on humble simplicity rather uh, fancy status-based, class-based stuff, and he is, he is really going to shame them today. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's dive in. This, then, is how you ought to regard us. Of course, the us is picking up from chapter 3. He's talking about uh, himself, Apollos, and Peter, uh, these leaders in the church, these fellow laborers. He called them these servants. He said, this is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. So what are they servant, what are they stewards of? The mysteries of God. And the mysteries are deeper hidden teachings that are not self-evident. And last week in chapter three, he began by saying, uh, I've given you all time to grow up and you're still babies. You have not matured. You have not grown in depth of knowledge of these, these mysteries. Rather, you've you seem to be valuing worldly wisdom over godly wisdom. And he makes very clear that if we want to be wise so far as God's concerned, then we have to become foolish so far as the world is concerned, right? You remember him making, that was a whole chapter there where he says, if you think you're wise, you're actually a fool. You should actually become a fool to the world so you can be wise in Christ because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, right? And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The Corinthian church is enamored with worldly wisdom, worldly strength. Paul is shutting that down, and he's lifting up the humble wisdom and weakness of God. So they are uh, servants. They are stewards, stewarding these mysteries 
of Christ that are not being used by the church. They think they're advanced. They are children. Verse 2, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. That's a word we still use in modern parlance, but we live in a pretty unfaithful generation. Faithful generally means you keep your word. You bring to completion that which you have begun. So is God faithful? And we're supposed to be holy as God is holy. That means we mirror godly traits in our lives. So that means we are faithful. That means we do what we say we're going to do. That's why Jesus and, and James both say that you never swear an oath. An oath needs to be sworn for people who are not faithful. So you hold them accountable to this oath that they swore. But Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? Because we are called to be faithful as he is faithful. So what's required of stewards is to be faithful, to do what we said we're going to do. So anyone here who has been baptized has renounced the forces of darkness and chosen to live in and for Christ Jesus, right? So that's how we are faithfully stewarding our lives now. So he's beginning with him and the leadership of the church. It proceeds to all of us. We are all called to be faithful. Amen? We are all called to do what we've said we're going to do. And members of the church are people who have made commitments about who they're going to be, how they're going to live. And so we are faithful as God is faithful. Amen? Verse 3, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. And that means how it sounds. It's, he's he's going to get kind of brusque, kind of disrespectful in this chapter because these people need to be humbled. He's saying, I don't really care what you think of me. I'm not afraid of your judgment of me. And if you take me to court, I'm not afraid of what any worldly court says about me either. Does that mean he only cares what he thinks about himself? That's what someone of this world in this era would say. They would say, don't, don't worry what others think about you. You just need to feel right about yourself. That's not scriptural because he says, indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. You see how starkly that stands against our era? People of our world right now say, hey, do you feel right with God? Then you are. Do you feel like you're doing the best you can? Then you are. You need some good self-esteem, sister. Why are you being so hard on yourself? Don't you know God just wants you to be happy? That is an anti-gospel. The gospel is you and I are lost without God. We're worthy of no good thing. God has saved us despite our unworthiness, and our consciences are wounded because we are all born in sin and cannot assess what is good and bad. Rather, it's God who decides, right? If you're not my judge, if, if a worldly court is not my judge, if I'm not my judge, who is my judge? God. And people say, oh, only God can judge me, to which we say, yeah, that should scare you. You should have some fear and trembling. If you are not walking in righteousness by biblical standards, then it doesn't matter if your conscience is clear. You're not right with God. And you will find that out on the last day. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you remember he has that whole thing on the last day. People are going to come to, say, to me saying, Lord, 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 did we not do powerful things in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not uh, speak in tongues in your name? Let us in. And he'll say, I don't know you. Get away from me, you evildoers. Depart into darkness. Because the thing that Jesus cares about is not speaking in tongues. It's not worldly wisdom. It's not worldly status. It's not casting out demons. He cares about 
obedience. He cares about obedience. Simple, faithful obedience. He doesn't care about fancy, flowery speech. He cares about obedience. And that's something that everybody can, can render to God. Uh, uh, rich and poor, strong and weak, smart and stupid, all of us can render obedience to God. That's all it really comes down to in the end. And that's what he is focusing on here. He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. I could still be guilty. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, y'all, the second person plural, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, some people who are predisposed to be faithless with the scriptures could interpret this saying, we can't judge anything in this life. Is this bad? Is this good? I don't know. You know, is it bad that Pastor Jeffrey is cheating on his wife? You know, maybe that's for God to decide. We're not here to judge. Do you know anybody like this who practices like they don't have basic skills of discernment? That is not how God is calling us to live. In fact, just a couple chapters later, Paul says, you have to judge one another in the church. You're going to be judging angels in the coming judgment. That means you need to have those powers of discernment now. Rather, he seems to be only correcting people who act as though they can read people's minds and hearts. He says... He will bring to light that which is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. These are things that you and I do not have access to. I can, I can say what someone is saying or doing. You know, if Joseph comes up here and punches Steve, uh, Spencer in the nose, we can't go, I don't know what just happened. We will all have seen it and say, hey, man, you shouldn't be punching him in the nose. Thank you for not being a violent person, Joseph. We all see and we all hear what is said, and to act as though we don't know right and wrong is silly. But I don't know what's in Joe's heart or in Spencer's mind. I'm not a mind reader. I'm not a psychic. Psychics are evil, by the way. You need to stay away from them. Jesus warns about that, or the scriptures do. But the thing is, we can judge actions, deeds, words, and in fact, God expects us to within the family of Christ. We cannot judge someone's mind, motivations, heart. We don't have access to that knowledge. So there's a very human thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm preaching at y'all now. I'm preaching at you. There's a thing we all do with the politicians of the other side that we don't like, where they do something that actually seems kind of reasonable or good, and we go, well, they still have evil in their heart. They still have bad intentions. So even what they did do right, they did, it's bad. And so at the last president, they had a whole condition for it. It was TDS, Trump derangement syndrome. Anything he did... Didn't even matter if it was the right thing to do. He was evil in his heart, and he was a bad guy. And then same thing with Biden today. You know, there are people on the other side that, that for one reason or another, the guy's just evil. He can't do anything right. You're speaking to someone's heart there. You're speaking to what they're carrying in their soul, in their mind. You can't speak to other people's intentions. That's, not a, that's what he is correcting here. Whether you're talking about inside or outside of the church, you don't know, and you need to be humble. You don't know what's in somebody's mind or heart. So if you're going to comment on what someone else is doing, only limit it to what you can see and perceive and what we're all seeing. 
to go beyond that to what's going on in their mind or their heart, that is sin. That is what he's warning about here. I feel like I communicated that pretty clearly. Can we move on? Okay. Verse 6, now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Now, I don't know where this saying comes from. I don't know that anybody does. But when we're talking about what is written, what do Christians care about that is written? The scriptures, the Bible, the the Christian canon. Don't go beyond what is written. If it is written in the Bible, it is essential for your salvation. If it's not written in the Bible, it's not essential. Has the Bible given us enough stuff to be concerned about? Do we need more Bible than what we've got? No. We've got everything that we need. So if you are holding people to a higher standard than what the Bible suggests, for instance, if you're in the Corinthian church and they're saying, well, we're not going to follow anyone unless they're a really good speaker and unless they're regarded highly by society around us, that's going beyond what's written. There are a lot of, a lot of people who won't follow. So what are, what are things that we put on? Hey, Rickman kids, if I see y'all have to get corrected again, we're doing something, Okay. Y'all are good kids, but don't make Whitney have to correct you again, okay? Bien? All right, I love you. Um, Okay, so we were talking about do not go beyond what is written. There are some things. What are things that people value today that God doesn't care about? Status broadly. What was something else? Uh, Possessions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to trust somebody unless they're, they're wealthy. They know what they're doing with their resources. Idols? Yeah, well, we usually... So, um, yes and no. So, possessions, mammon would be an idol. Yeah. Uh, there are different idols, you know. They're, they're uh, I would say, like, biker churches or cowboy churches come close to this. Like, I, I really can't hear someone talk about Jesus unless they're part of my culture, you know. I'm a cowboy through and through. I need my pastor to be a cowboy. Or I'm a biker through and through. I need my pastor to be a biker. Uh... I'm a sinner through and through, and I need my pastor to know sin. And I need him to know Jesus and the cure for Jesus. That's, if your standard is anything other than what's in the scripture, you are going beyond what is written. So you can apply that in a whole host of directions. There are a lot of people that just aren't going to listen unless you've done something to impress them. The only thing that matters is if you impress God. And you and I need to have that discernment about who is conforming their lives to God and who is not. A lot of people say Jesus' name, They are not revolving their lives around Jesus. They think they own their lives. They think that that they are about their life. Actually, you were bought with Christ's blood. It's to him you owe your life. And you need people in charge who understand that, who are not owners but are stewards. All right. Um, We're in verse—oh, we're still in verse 6. So do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower— of one of us over against the other. So we already understand what this is about. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. But what does puffed up mean? He's going to use this phrase a couple more times. What does it mean? Full of yourself, prideful, um, thinking you're too big for your britches. So that's what he's correcting here. This Corinthian church, they think they're further along than they are. They think that they're holier than they are. He's, he's cutting them down to size. Verse 7 For who makes you different from anyone else? Are you and I different from anyone else, really? 
Are we born different from anybody else? We're all born in sin. What do you have that you did not receive? Do you have anything good that God didn't give you? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though... No, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So remember Paul's language from Romans. Salvation is not wages. When someone is laboring, wages are what you give them what they deserve, right? We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve good things from God. Rather, this is grace. God gives it to us uh, without our deserving, without cost. But they're not ours. They're his. That's the stewardship angle. And he's saying they think they're owners. They're thinking that they're holier than thou. They are not. And he's cutting them down to size. Verse 8. This is where he gets sarcastic. Now, yes, sarcasm is a poor excuse for wit. But that saying is not in the Bible. But sarcasm is in the Bible. I get real tired with people that are sarcastic too much, but it does accomplish something sometimes, okay? So keep in mind, he's gone three and a half chapters before getting sarcastic, okay? He's built a relationship. He's had the carrot. Now's the stick. He's been kind and sweet. Now he's going to be mean. He says, already you have what you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. It's at this point that someone... If someone starting off reading this might go, oh, yeah, he does acknowledge us for being rich and powerful. Once you get halfway through this paragraph, you realize he's making fun of them because they're not comporting with the Christian ethos. Let's remind ourselves, was Christ rich and comfortable? Did he exercise worldly power over others? He was a wandering peasant without much money to speak of, without a name to speak of carrying only the truth of God. And Paul is mirroring that ministry of Christ Jesus, as are the other apostles, as are the leaders in the church. And these people in Corinth are thinking that they've discovered a way to have their cake and eat it too, to have worldly status, to be liked for everybody, by everybody, to have these excellent interlocutors speaking. Um, he's saying, no. You think that you're powerful, you think you're wise, you think you're smart. Meanwhile, you think that we're stupid, huh? A lot of people, they come to the Bible and they think that the authors of the Bible were stupid, ignorant people from 2,000 years ago. Oh, they were just bigots from back then. These people were melded by the mind of God. Far beyond even, I mean, I would like to think that I'm, I'm pretty advanced as far as believers go. I am humbled every time I come to God's word. Paul and his fellow apostles were not morons 
And they were not going beyond what is written. He just warned against that. He is living what it would be considered an essential Christian lifestyle, not concerned with worldly comfort or status, but concerned only with God's judgment. You see how he's lined that up very clearly here? He is only concerned with pleasing God. He is only concerned with, with getting by on judgment day. He is not concerned with how others judge him. Not in that way. So they, they're, they're all strong, and he says, we, and whenever he's talking about how poor he is, he's not lying. There were times, I mean, he didn't have a solid, solid stable income, so there were times he didn't have a home, he didn't have food, he didn't have good clothes to wear, he was wandering around in rags, he was published, punished, persecuted wherever he went. He said, we're like people in the procession going into the arena to die. This was something that was Roman, in Roman culture, they had arenas, coliseums, they would bring slaves in to get torn apart by animals, and he said, that's my life. That's what we look like. And meanwhile, you, you're living the high life, aren't you? Oh, you're reigning. You're, you're, oh, you're living large, aren't you? He's mocking them. He's just put them to shame. And so he comes in verse 14. He says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you, my dear children. Now, sometimes do you have to shame somebody to warn them? Sometimes you have to offend somebody to warn them? Yeah. Last night, I still don't know if my spirit was right in doing it, but we were cleaning stuff up in the basement, and I have this, this new bench, and Jesse was playing around on it. I told him not to play on my gear, but he played on it, and he fell off, and he got hurt, and Sarah Beth is, <gasps> and I, I just grabbed the boy while he's screaming on the ground, and I grab him, I pick him up, and I say, what did you do wrong? And it's not because I hate the boy, it's because I love him, and I don't want him to get hurt, right? But if I'm going, oh, poor Jesse, oh, what's wrong? Then that reinforces that behavior, I think, right? I think when you're kind to somebody while they're doing something wrong, it reinforces that behavior. I have to be mean to these kids when they screw up so they don't screw up again. And then I can be loving all the time. I didn't like shake him hard. It's just, you know, uh. I want him to remember. And that's what Paul's doing here. He wants these Corinthians to remember the shame that they feel. Because if he's nice the whole time, it's not, you know, have you ever tried to drop hints at somebody and they're just not picking up what you're laying down? Paul don't play that game. He, he's, he's nice, he builds up, and then he just clocks you right in the face. You're going to feel it. And these guys felt it. And he says, I did this not to shame you, but to warn you, okay? I'm not, I'm not just taking pleasure in hurting you. This has a purpose. I love you, so I'm warning you. That's the whole point of the scriptures. That's the whole point of having a preacher who hits you with it as hard as he can. That's what we're doing here. It's out of love. Verse 15, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ. Wait, wait, wait. Did I finish that? I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. He's going to harp on this children thing. Because these are grown, grown people. These are grown adults. But he's calling them his children. Verse 15, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ... You do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. So he's not saying they should call him father. He's not proclaiming to be some kind of literal father, but he's saying, I brought you the mysteries of the gospel. I, I built the church there. I feel fatherly feelings towards you. I would like you to feel son, sonly feelings, childly feelings towards me. Not childish, childly. I would like you to have some loyalty to me, to respect me, because you need to imitate me. This is what's wrong with kids nowadays. I'm going to turn in my old man for a minute. Kids don't imitate their parents. They think their, their parents are lame. 
we act like that's always been eternally true. In previous societies, children had to learn trades from their parents. They had to learn how to cook in the kitchen from their mothers. They had to learn how to work in the field from their fathers. It's only very recently that we've said, oh, let the children do their own thing. Children are supposed to learn from adults. Paul knew himself to be a master craftsman, and he had a bunch of apprentices that are thinking they know better than the master. Anybody seen Karate Kid? You know, you have Daniel-san. He's the main character. You have Mr. Miyagi, who's the kung fu master. If Daniel-san had come to Mr. Miyagi and said, I already know everything I need to know, it wouldn't have worked out well for him. If you come to a, a kung fu master and say, let's fight, I know what I need to know, he'll lay you out and you'll deserve it. When you come to a master, as a student, there is a very human tendency after a couple lessons to go, oh, I'm getting the hang of this, I'm better than I was. Okay, I don't have anything to learn from you anymore. I got the rest covered. Paul is saying, no, Daniel-san. I got a lot more to teach. You guys need to be humble. You need to receive me as your father in the faith. Jesus did say, call no man father. He is not trying to institute something where they're calling him father, but he is trying to exercise godly love and authority over people that don't want to be under his authority anymore. Why don't they want to be under his authority? Let's go back for a second and look at how he described his way of life. This is in verse 12. We work hard with our own hands. That's a class thing. Rich people don't work with their own hands. They're, they're, they're part of the laptop class. They're, they're white-collar jobs. They work in office buildings. Back then, same thing. It was day laborers that worked with their hands. He says, we're working class. When we're cursed, we bless. Does that sound like a fun way to live? No. If you're, if you're in the flesh, you want to curse those who curse you, don't you? You want to punch those who punch you. You want to hurt those who hurt you. But when we are cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we just endure it. We don't fight back. When we are slandered, that means spoken falsely and ill of, we answer kindly. We don't defend ourselves. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of this world right up to this moment. Well, sign me up. Oh, I just want, I would love to be scum of the earth. I would love to be garbage. That's why the Corinthians are bucking his leadership. They know that he is not going to bless them in their creature comforts. He's not going to bless them in their desire to be rich and of high status. Rather, he's going to remind them of how he, their spiritual father, is living and how they should live. He's saying, imitate me. Now, does that mean we should all be poor? Not necessarily. But it does mean that we need to remember that all that we have is not ours. If it's not mine, whose is it? God's. Everything you have is not yours. It's God's. And if you've forgotten that, you need to be reminded before it's too late. We just ended in verse 16 where he said, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. And this is not him being cocky. This is him knowing that he has something to teach and they have something to learn. It is not a sin to know that you have something to teach and someone else has something to learn. That is not a sin you're not being prideful. In fact, you're trying to help them and love them. Verse 17, for this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love. It's not literally his son. It's his spiritual son, someone who's been under his instruction. I'm sending you who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So there is only one gospel, right? Jesus Preach the gospel, was the gospel, is the gospel. 
All of the apostles preached the same gospel everywhere they went. They focused on different parts. It's the same gospel. Truth is one. And it leads to a certain way of life that is the same in every culture. So Cody doesn't have his own way of being a Christian. Whitney, her own way of being a Christian. And me and my own way of Christian. We're all called to imitate Christ. And Paul. And Peter. And Priscilla. And Junia. All these people were conformed to the mind of Christ and lived it out in their daily lives. It has to do with how we deal with power, how we deal with relationships, how we deal with ourselves, all of that. And if we're not conformed to that, then we aren't Christians. It doesn't matter if we sit in a pew and sing hymns. It doesn't even matter if we read our Bibles if we are not conformed to what we read. That's the whole point. I've, I've told it from the, the, the pulpit before. To read your Bible and not be changed by it is like buying a car and reading the manual and loving the manual but never driving the car. Okay? It's that silly. The whole point of the manual is to teach you how to drive and operate your car. The whole point of this manual is to teach you who Christ is and how you are to be Christ in the world around you. And if you're not conformed to that, then you're wasting your time. So Timothy is being sent to show them. They've forgotten he's going to model for them what Paul taught them. And they have been practicing beyond what is written. He's going to remind them of the essentials. Verse 18, some of you have become arrogant. Man, he just comes right out and says it, doesn't he? As if I were not coming to you. Oh, that sounds kind of threatening, doesn't it? You're acting kind of big for your britches. You're acting like I'm not going to come back and correct you. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod? What do you do with a rod? You hit somebody. Should I come to you with a rod of discipline? You want me to come beat you up? Or shall I come in love? With a gentle spirit. Does this sound threatening to you? It's absolutely overtly threatening. In one chapter, he's sarcastic and then he's threatening. Now, I don't think he's threatening to cause them physical harm. He didn't say, I'm coming with my rod. He says, coming with the rod of discipline. But even so, these people are cruising for a bruising. I like that saying. They're cruising for a bruising. And he's saying, I, I got a rod. I can come. I can use it. I can hit you with it. Do you want that? You know, and sometimes, you know, little Clementine, she'll push back against me, and I'll say, Clementine, I want to have a good day with you. I don't want to be mean daddy. Do you want mean daddy right now, or do you want nice daddy? And most of the time, that works. She'll say, I want nice daddy, you know, and she'll do what I want. And this is how Paul is being. Would you like nice Paul? Would you like me to come and love? You want to have a good time? Or do you want mean Paul? I can be mean. I'm not afraid of you. You ever heard that saying, someone's bark is bigger than their bite? He's saying, these people that are leading the church here, Oh, I know they can talk, but they don't have power. You know who does? God, and I'm with him. I'll come to you. We'll see who has power. We'll put them to the test. Do you want to be with them or do you want to be with God? He is absolutely using that tone. He used a sarcastic tone, and now he's using a threatening tone. And are worldly people going to receive this? Worldly people don't receive this. They go, oh! well, you know, that Paul, he's, he's not being very mature right now. You know, our leaders... Are, are ones that we follow. They're very mature. They don't get into to spats with other people like this. You know, they don't, they don't act sarcastic, and they certainly don't threaten. 
You know, my Jesus didn't threaten. Guys, did Jesus threaten? Absolutely he did. With the worst thing that you can threaten people with, hellfire, okay? Threatening is not a sin. Being sarcastic in controlled amounts is not a sin. It might be super annoying, though, so watch out on that. We are called to be not worldly people who reject this message. We're called to be heavenly beings in these clay jars who receive this correction knowing it comes from a place of love. And without this correction, we will be seduced by the world and led astray. We need this reminder. Does anybody here know you need this reminder? Some people don't want to raise your hands, but I got a lot of head nods. Every time I open this Bible, it corrects me. I need it. And I've been, you know, I've been preaching hard forever. I don't know. And I, 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 the temptation is to go, oh, Jeffrey, he thinks he's so perfect. No, I don't. I really don't. By God's power, I'm better than I used to be, but he has a lot of work left to be done in me. And some days I try and buck God and I say, I've done enough, thank you. God help me. He gives me another day to repent. And so that is the thing I always want to end on, brothers and sisters. Our way of life is to be marked with humility, as we've heard about today. And we need that humility so that we can properly repent. So if you are like me and you get astray, repent. And we will find that God doesn't have to come to us with the rod of discipline. But as a loving, giving father, he will continue to entrust us with all that is good that we have. Are we on board together?